Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Brown People Problems. I'm your host, Nikita, and on this podcast, we chat about what it just looks like to navigate life while being a brown person. So for today's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that I have been receiving a number of requests for, and that is how does the stress impact the body physically and and especially chronic stress, how it can impact our bodies physically. Now, I'm sure you've seen the title of this video, Being Too Nice Can Kill You, and unfortunately, it is not a clickbait title. So today, I'm going to be chatting to you about all the research in the field of like nervous system regulation, emotion regulation, that now tells us how uh, being too nice can create chronic stress in the body and how it can literally lead to um, some physical diseases. Now, before we get started, if you're new here, welcome. Um, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast, whether it is your whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any podcasting platform, or on YouTube please make sure to click subscribe and follow. So it helps me know that I'm producing something worthwhile and it'll help me continue to get this out to you. All right, so being too nice can kill you. Um, This is a topic that I just, I think it is so relevant to brown people and brown people problems and especially to, especially for brown women everywhere like many cultures and many minority cultures around the world ours collectively is one that puts a lot of emphasis on what will people say and you know acting and behaving in ways that are in accordance with cultural norms and societal norms and there's maybe like a disproportionate amount of emphasis on this so i think there isn't a better time to talk about this than today and then now because you know what research tells us that being too nice and being inauthentic can actually be detrimental for your health now of course as always there is a disclaimer at the end of each episode but just a brief disclaimer now what we're about to talk about today is sort of a simplification and an introduction to this topic um this is a lot more nuanced and a lot more complex than we will be able to reasonably get into today. So just something to hold in the back of your minds. And also a friendly reminder that I am not a medical doctor. I am not someone who has dedicated 50 years of my life to researching this phenomena. However, I will be referencing a research of amongst many others, but research of Dr. Gabor Matei, who has actually done 50 years worth of research on this um, and is really right now the world authority on chronic stress, trauma, and how it impacts the body. As always, the show notes will include all of the resources, the academic articles, as well as the research behind what I will be sharing with you today. Okay, so before we can get into how exactly being too nice can kill you, I want to talk a little bit about the mind-body connection. The mind-body connection, exactly what it sounds like, the mind and the body, they're connected. Sounds really ridiculously simple, but 
We're talking about this connection in the sense that emotional stress cannot be separated from the physical state of our bodies. So what's happening up here emotionally is impacting the rest of our body as well. We need to talk about this because there can be a disproportionate amount of focus on um, just intellectualizing our emotions and just working through our thoughts and our feelings without necessarily learning how what how that is impacting our body and also there's a serious disconnect in medicine right now where despite our advancements that we have made whenever you're struggling with a physical ailment very 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 rarely do you get asked and explored about your emotional well-being and even if you're being asked that it's not really taken into account in your treatment plan nor is it really kind of nor is anyone really delving into that so this mind-body connection or the mind-body unity, even though they're one, but this mind-body unity in the context of stress management really is just this idea that um, whatever is happening in our brains uh, that is inducing a lot of stress for us is also impacting the body physically and impacting a lot of bodily functions as well, such as digestion, um, our hormones, and can also lead to a lot of autoimmune diseases that we will talk about shortly. Now, a quick clarification. Stress is actually not bad. Stress is really healthy. It prompts action. It is an activating experience that happens inside the body um, that can promote healthy action. However, we are talking about chronic, prolonged, ongoing, disproportionate amount of stress. That is what we're talking about today. Because really, if you think about it, the stress response has helped us survive. However, the social conditions in which we live now are keeping that stress response constantly activated. And one of the social conditions that I think are particularly in um, context of brown people problems is this pressure to, you know, please everyone and act in ways that are act in ways to kind of prioritize your social standing more than anything else. So what we're seeing with research now is when we're constantly suppressing our emotions and our needs, this activates the stress response in the body. So what do I mean by stress response? So let's back it up a little bit. Let's look at what happens to the body under stress. We have our autonomic nervous system um, that plays a direct role in our physical response to stress and our autonomic nervous system or our ans is divided into the sympathetic nervous system which is the sns and the parasympathetic nervous system which is the pns basically when your body is stressed the sympathetic nervous system can contribute to what we call fight or flight response it's something that i think most of you have heard about you know feeling like when your body is in fight or flight like when you feel like you have to fight this threat or you gotta run away this fight or flight response essentially shifts the body's resources and all the energy towards fighting off a threat or fleeing from it actually we now know that our first response is actually flee from a threat but if we cannot flee from it then we tend to fight the stress now this is a bit of a side note but if we cannot fight or flee the stress we tend to shut down and collapse and that is the activation of um, our parasympathetic system where we 
just dissociate we mentally we go somewhere else and our body literally just collapses and we mentally check out as a way to keep ourselves safe a great example for this is if someone's been in a car accident their first instinct is going to want to flee the car or the scene um, to protect themselves to step out of the car and to take themselves to safety now imagine that if you're not able to get out of the car that you're actually trapped in your car so now you cannot fight nor can you flee so in order to keep you safe your body shuts down goes into the freeze response um, which may look like you dissociating you mentally escaping or you becoming numb so fight flight or freeze those are the three survival responses but the sympathetic nervous system is responsible for the fight or flight because those are the two states that mobilize us that guide us to the guide us towards action and to deal with the problem. So part of this fight or flight response is that the sympathetic nervous system, it signals your adrenal glands that are responsible for hormone production uh, to release adrenaline, which is also called epinephrine and cortisol. Now these hormones cause your heart to beat faster. So you feel like your heart's racing, your respiration rate increases, your blood vessels in your arms and legs start to dilate. Um, your breathing becomes shallow so you can fight better or run faster um, and your glucose levels start to change in your bloodstream as well to help you deal with this emergency on hand. So as you can see a number of things happen in the body at that time. This stress response is sort of like this alarm system in your body that gets turned on whenever there is a real or perceived threat. When we're talking about the brain there's a couple structures here to keep in mind one is a hypothalamus and the other is the amygdala so whenever you experience a stressful event the amygdala is a part of the brain that actually contributes to emotional processing this sends a distress signal to your hypothalamus hypothalamus is sort of like your brain's command center it communicates with the rest of your body through your nervous system and in this circumstance it communicates to your nervous system that you need to fight or flee our autonomic nervous system controls a lot of involuntary body functions like breathing, your blood pressure, your heart rate. Now, all these changes that happen in your body that we talked about, they happen so quickly. So you're not subconscious, you're not consciously realizing that this is happening for you. Um, it happens in like a millisecond, but this is really what's happening in your body, which is why when you're anxious, you may feel like your heart's racing or you have a tightness in your chest or you have some restlessness in your arms and legs your extremities so you can fight or flight. Now, once this initial kind of surge of adrenaline kind of subsides, your hypothalamus can activate a second line of defense, um, which is the HPA axis. Now, this is if this, the stress is still ongoing, if the threat, sorry, is still ongoing. The HPA axis is basically hypothalamus, your pituitary gland and your adrenal glands. Um, without getting too complicated and sciencey into this, all you really need to know is that this HPA axis really kind of um, keeps your nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system, keep its foot pressed down on the gas pedal, right? Because your brain is continuing to perceive something as dangerous. So, so you have another bunch of hormones that are released to help the production of more cortisol into the body. Now, when the stress passes, the parasympathetic nervous system is supposed to take over, put on the brakes to this racing car, and your all of the stress response 
system is supposed to resolve itself and you're supposed to come back to a place of calm and equilibrium. That is what's supposed to happen. But if the stress keeps on going and going and going and going, you can imagine how the stress response system is now just constantly on and in overdrive. Now, as you can imagine, chronic stress, which is experiencing stressors over a prolonged period of time, can result on this really long-term drain on our bodies. This can cause wear and tear in the body. Now, how does this fit in to how being too nice can kill you? So hopefully that helps you understand a little bit about what's happening in the body, right? So now what research is showing us, when we are constantly suppressing our emotions and our needs, this is activating the stress response in the body. So all of this that we just talked about with the, with the cortisol and the adrenaline, the epinephrine, all of that is now happening in your body. When we're suppressing our needs, suppressing our emotions constantly, all the time in the favor of other people's needs. Now, you might be thinking, okay, but how, what does chronic stress do to my body? What can it actually do to my body? Stress actually impacts your body's ability to produce uh, regular amounts of white blood cells. Those are the blood cells that are required to fight off infections in our body um, and help boost our immunity. Chronic stress can create inflammation in the body and we know that inflammation leads to pain and inflammation is actually chronic inflammation is tied to conditions like arthritis rheumatoid arthritis and any or most of autoimmune diseases chronic stress can distort the hormonal balance in the body um, like i said can lead to autoimmune diseases it also prematurely ages our cells now this is maybe like a side note for um fellow like science geeks but uh, stress can affect our DNA. So telomeres are basically these structures on the ends of our chromosomes. Um, they're like little, um, those like little plastic caps that you have on your shoe, on your shoelaces. Imagine that, that tele those are telomeres and they are on the ends of our DNA, on our chromosomal structures that are supposed to prevent the chromosomes from fraying. These telomeres, they shorten as we age. Um, but if they become too short, the cells can become impaired. Now, we know from research that stress and adversity, chronic stress and adversity, significantly shorten telomeres, which prematurely ages our cells, which then makes us more prone to illness. Chronic stress can also suppress vital emotions. It can deteriorate gut health, you know, which is why we see a lot of IBS and Crohn's um, with those who have chronic anxiety and stress, um, and it can also impact memory long-term, right? If, if your stress response system is constantly on, your body is not going to be allocating resources to convert working memory to short-term memory to long-term memory. Also, what chronic stress can do, it can cause the muscles in your body to be more or less in like a state of guardedness. We also call this armoring. It's basically when your muscles, you know, become rigid. If you may have noticed that when you're particularly stressed, you notice like a lot of tension in your shoulders, in the backs of your shoulders, or you may notice tension in your forearms, or you're sort of making a fist with your hands. This is called armoring or guardedness. When our muscles are taut and tense for long periods of time, this can trigger other um, stress-related disorders like tension headaches, um, tension migraines, um, things like that. Because if you really think about it, tension headaches uh, are basically just chronic tense muscles right around your head. When the body is stuck in 
a chronic stress response. Um, research shows us that it's constantly in an inflamed state. And this is a precursor to many chronic illnesses like heart disease, cancer, autoimmune diseases. So we're looking at like arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, Alzheimer's, depression, and so many more. Actually, in his book, The Myth of Normal, Dr. Mate also talks about how uh, anger is actually one of those emotions, uh, suppression of which has been linked to development of cancer later on. So when we suppress healthy anger, that has been linked to our likelihood of developing cancer cells in the future, growing up in the future. Because we're heavily referencing the research of Dr. Gabor Mate and his colleagues in this, what Dr. Mate has done, he has spent um, 30 years researching chronic illnesses, and he found five personality features that are most frequently present in people with chronic illness. So number one, an automatic and compulsive concern for the emotional needs of others while ignoring your needs. Number two, rigid identification with social role, duty, and responsibility. Number three, overdriven, externally focused, hyper-responsibility, which is really just based in this conviction then that one must justify one's existence by doing and giving. Number four, repression of healthy and self-protective anger. Because, you know, pushing down our anger prioritizing duty and the needs of others before our own um, and trying not to disappoint other people really creates a lot of chronic stress in the body. And lastly, harboring and acting compulsively acting out of two beliefs. One, that I'm responsible for how other people feel and two, I must never disappoint anyone. Now I want you to pause right now and I want you to rewind <laughs> And I want you to listen to those personality characteristics again. Now in the context of brown people as a collective. Because when I came across this research, I got to tell you, I was shocked. Because all of these can be identified with our culture and what we are taught is important. You know, right off the top of my head, I can think of how repression of healthy anger is so, so, so common, especially for a lot of brown women. If you are a brown woman listening, I want you to reflect on when was the last time that in a cultural space, you were given permission to not only express, but feel your healthy anger. And when was that supported for you? Probably not many times. Most of us aren't even, forget tools, we're not even given permission to feel anger. We're told that we're being unreasonable or our anger is not justified, right? Healthy anger is anger that comes up when you've been disrespected, when you've been mistreated. That's healthy anger. Anger that tells you that, uh-uh, I deserve better and I gotta stand up for myself and take care of myself, create boundaries, that's healthy anger. So we're not talking about aggression here. We're not talking about violence. We're talking about healthy, self-protective, adaptive anger. Even the personality characteristic, you know, the, the rigid identification with social role, duty and responsibility. Oh man, duty and responsibility. How many times have brown people heard that growing up? How many times has that been super emphasized for us? We know that, you know, many 
brown men experience this like disproportionate pressure when it comes to duty and responsibility to put everyone else before themselves or to be providers and equally we know a lot of brown women carry a lot of this duty and responsibility to always be likable to maintain the peace to please others right these are the personality features that are most frequently present in people with chronic illnesses because all of these have to do with suppressing our emotions stifling our authentic needs which keeps the body in a constant state of stress and when the body is in a constant state of stress our stress response system is always just going going and going and the body is not always able to come back sufficiently to a, the place before stress now it's really important to talk about how these personality characteristics don't really have anything to do with our conscious will or choice so we are not trying to perpetuate shame or blame or ridicule or any sort of judgment what we're learning now from research that these personality characteristics these are coping mechanisms I don't think many people wake up in the morning and decide, oh, today I'm going to value everybody else before I value myself. Or today when I get disrespected, I will swallow my anger and I will keep doing what I gotta be doing. No, these are not conscious choices. These are unconscious choices. These are coping mechanisms that we develop in our life. In the circumstances that we've you know, been raised in or experienced, that then contribute to how we function later on in life. So again, we're not sharing this to have anyone feel like they are their disease or they did this to themselves or they are responsible for now whatever that they're struggling through. These are not conscious delib or deliberate in any way. These are coping mechanisms. Sometimes we act so automatically when it comes to putting other people's needs before us or inability to say no is, you know, people pleasing and inability to say no is really such a hallmark of a people pleaser and those people pleasing tendencies. So instead of putting ourselves down about what we think we have developed consciously, research tells us to get curious about these coping mechanisms. So of all the ones that we mentioned in our list, these personality characteristics, um, can we get curious about which one am I noticing most in my life? Am I noticing a rigid identification with social role, duty, responsibility? So what does that look like for me as a brown woman? Am I noticing a rigid identification with this label of, you know, like good brown girl, whatever that looks like? Am I constantly prioritizing other people's needs before my own that's something to think about some things to also be curious about can be um, when do i struggle to say no um, what are some areas in my life is it at work is it with family is it with in my partner in my romantic relationship when do i struggle to say no how does that impact me it's important to ask ourselves curious compassionate questions to understand some of these unconscious personality characteristics because you don't know what you don't know and only by developing some awareness and curiosity so no judgment by developing awareness and curiosity can we learn a little bit more about ourselves and then we can start to start to function in ways where we make deliberate choices about how to move forward now 
this research now this research does not give us a free pass to go ahead and be rude and disrespectful and really crappy human beings there is obviously benefit in being a nice human being being nice is being kind and all of that is okay and we're not saying that you should now stop doing that and now um, just become this like really miserable selfish person um, even though selfish has this really bad connotation but for the purpose of this conversation we will stick to that word what research suggests is the solution is to find ways and find balance so you can be authentic as well because sometimes it may not be possible every single time to put your needs ahead of others there may be times in your life where your relationships need you to take a step back and show up for people in the capacity that they want you to show up in and that is okay because what we're watching out for is chronic compulsive repetition of these behaviors are you always the person who's saying yes to everything are you always putting other people's needs before your own are you always swallowing how you feel and what you need and that's what we're trying to find balance in how can we practice being there for others but also being there for ourselves so how can we practice negotiating and practice some balance with some of these personality characteristics and we also want to get curious about why we developed these traits in the first place a lot of us develop these traits these personality traits feel accepted because guess what we are wired for social connection we want to feel accepted but often feeling accepted is in direct contrast with our need for authenticity so if we're forced to pick between attachment to others and authenticity to ourselves we will almost always pick attachment because we are wired for social connection so while we need healthy attachment we also need authenticity to who we are to keep us healthy so hopefully these questions help you get a little bit curious about some of these personality characteristics in your life or just generally i think present in our cultural group how how does today's conversation sit with you let me know your thoughts in the comments uh below uh, I would really appreciate you know hearing from you and if you're listening on Spotify I believe there is an option at the bottom of the page for you for a bit of a Q&A so feel free to ask your questions let me know your thoughts below um, and and I will be linking all the research all the articles that I talked about down below again dedicating 20 minutes this topic is clearly far 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 from adequate amount of time that's needed to talk about something like this and process it but hopefully this offers you like a bite-sized introduction into um, this topic it was lovely chatting with you guys today and as always stay tuned for our disclaimer the guest and the host at brown people problems do not offer individualized therapeutic or medical advice and our conversations should not be interpreted as such this podcast is not a replacement for therapy this podcast exists for educational purposes only Please consider your circumstances and engage with the content mindfully.